our daily decisions are being digitally analyzed, AI inspected and algorithmically dissected into pieces and parts to determine how our decisions can be redirected. Artfully applied analysis enables capitalists to corner markets building gilded cages out of the pages where they list the terms and conditions that apply. Please click the box to proceed. There's no need to lie when you can get the user to agree. This sort of data usury, a term usually applied to illegally lending at high rates, but by lending me use of these apps, they get rich and I get none of the take. Hmm. All that money is lost to me and this lending comes at a high cost to me. All this tech lets them beat down the cost of production, making everything cheaper. This is the most lauded capitalist function, but this fiscal race to the top leaves a lot of people at the bottom. This is clearly a serious economic dysfunction. Luckily, the sword cuts both ways. It's often the artists that articulate the real state of the world, turning the tools of the titans into the instruments of their undoing. Cluing in what should be obvious to those who are unconscious, acting as the conscience of our society, trying to slow this social entropy before our civilization's soul is empty. It's tempting to think this slide to the bottom is unrelenting, but even in the dark, something brilliant is glinting. The shine in the demon's eye as it plies its craft, separating the wheat from the chaff, the diamonds from the glass, trying to pull up the energy before we all crash in this post postmodern landscape it's time to take all the assumptions to task and ask can we do it all better can we be more than clever and actually start to be smart welcome to journeyman's journal this is a trek from inner places to outer spaces in search of insights and inspirations my goal with this podcast, as always, is to touch on the four corners of civilization as I see it in no particular order. That's faith, philosophy, culture and science. And in some way or another, we hit on all four of those points with Zach Counts. Zach is an accomplished multimedia artist who has a great perspective on the creative work that he does, the technology behind the digital world that we live in and more deeply the state of the world as it is today. Journeyman's Journal is a multimedia experience, so to fully enjoy this podcast, you have to see the visuals that support it. When you hear this sound, that means whatever is being discussed has an illustration or infographic that supports it. In particular, with this episode, Zach has shared some of his digital works, and I have some photos of his paintings that you can go to see on Instagram, Facebook, or my website, jmansjournal.com. His IG is ZCounts. If you really liked the show, I hope you share it with a friend or family member. Send a link via text or email. Go to the Facebook and share a post tagging a few people that you think might enjoy this show as well. I want you to know that every time you share this show, a podcaster gets their wings. I want to thank everyone that signed up for the newsletter recently. I'm continuing my special giveaway, a handmade bookmark featuring some of my asymmetric art as well as a short poem. 
for anyone that joins and shares the podcast. Once you go to the website, jmansjournal.com, that's J-M-A-N-S-J-O-U-R-N-A-L.com, scroll down a little bit and you'll see a bright yellow button that says join mailing list. If you get on there, you'll be the first one to know about new content, hear about when episodes drop. And there's a lot more to this podcast than just what you hear right now. I love to learn whether I hear something on the radio, I see something on the news or I come across something on social media. I'm the kind of person that follows the link and then the next link and then start searching terms and really trying to understand. I've always been a person that asks questions. And one of the things that I learned about while interviewing Zach was Maxwell's Demon, and it inspired the title for this show. Maxwell's Demon is a thought experiment created by the physicist James Clerk Maxwell in 1867, in which he suggested how the second law of thermodynamics and that law is that the universe has a natural tendency towards entropy or disorder. And in that thought experiment, he imagined a demon that could control a small trap door between two chambers of gas. As individual molecules approach the door, the demon quickly opens and shuts the door that only allows the fast moving molecules to pass through the chambers. So in this way, it could overcome this natural tendency where if you mix hot water and cold water, you'll get warm water and eventually you'll get cold water that energy dissipates. But if we could control that flow of molecules, then you could have one side that remains hot and the other side completely cold. This natural tendency towards entropy disorder is something that came up in our conversation in some unexpected ways. And Zach applies this same kind of thinking towards our society. Our social structures seem to be moving in a similar direction. And in some ways, I have to agree with him that we see that order comes in and there are strong institutions and structures in place that uh, build up a lot of energy and re require a lot of energy to maintain and focus. And then over time, they become more disorderly and that that structure tends to fade away. And it seems like that's kind of where we are right now that there's a lot of we say there's a lot of tension in our society right now, a lot of contested ideas and different ways of thinking and and disorderly. But how do we kind of harness our own ability to control the, the flow of energy in our society and make things better for as many people as possible? Or do we just let it go become disordered? And is there a new natural order that will arise out of that? Very interesting questions that we're going to jump into. Hold tight for just a moment. And when we come back, we're going to jump into the conversation with Zach Counts, taking tally of the state of the world today and where his art fits into it. I'm here with Zach Counts. And as with a number of my guests in the past, I, there I was scrolling along on Instagram. And in particular, I'm looking at other Tampa Bay based artists and his work jumped out to me because of its blend of 
uh, just amazing color, kind of s surreal imagery, and uh, somewhere on the on the cusp of very tech, but also being very um, very modern. And I mean, it just it just kind of hits that like kind of cyberpunk vibe that I enjoy with a lot of the work that I like to take in. And as I have gotten to know him a little bit in preparing for this interview, he is someone that's got a very broad worldview and. Uh, very uh, deep and interesting thoughts about the state of the world we're in, the the way art and technology is influencing that, and the work that he does in building websites and doing visuals and working in marketing around so many of the things that are touching our lives has given him some unique insights into how all those things come together. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Great. You said that you became an artist when you said you were an artist. So do you remember that moment when it was just clear for you that above all all else, any other titles that you took on, that artist was the one that fit you? Um, yeah, but I think to connect a dot before that, um, I think the first time I ever drew was um, in like a how-to book in school. And I thought everything that I drew before that wasn't art or a drawing because no one had taught me how to do it or had given points so that was the first time I drew but I didn't think I made art until I just decided I was an artist mm -hmm. <laughs> and then just r randomly switched my major and then everything from that point on was art because I said it was art like mm -hmm. it was very like so um yeah so it didn't have to be one medium or another it was the idea that you were trying to capture and art is just the vehicle to get it out yeah and I just think Society pressure tells you what art is. And so you don't think anime is an art, for instance. And I grew up watching anime. I grew up watching cartoons. Like, I didn't think any of that was art. Mm -hmm. So I grew up doodling, but that didn't translate to anything. I thought that was... Um, I thought it was actually more unproductive than anything. I thought, mm -hmm. like, it was a waste of time, to be honest. And I think when you get approval, like a check of just saying, oh, I'm an artist now. Mm -hmm. Like, it just unlocks doors. You're like, oh, well, I just spent all my time drawing from then on because people would just think, oh, that's what he does. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think I think there's just something to manifesting things before you say it. Like, I'm going to do this, and then you do it. Yeah, absolutely. So you came to the Tampa Bay area originally from Arkansas. Yep. And uh, – what was it like growing up there? I know you said that it was um, a very small town in the kind of the tri-state region between Arkansas, uh, Oklahoma, and Texas. So I graduated with, I think, 40 people total. So super small class. Um, I think it, there's a lot of inferiority complex that comes with living in a small place. Um, I think you're constantly looking for somewhere bigger. You're looking for more, like I said, with the labels. You're looking for a stamp of approval from outside. So I think it gave me a hunger. In looking around at all the places that you could have gone to, um, there Tampa Bay jumped out to you as a place that wasn't crazy or wild like L.A. or New York, but also um, I just had some unique opportunities. What was it like when you first got here to Tampa? First getting here was eye-opening because I felt like it gave me my first little check of approval. So it started to give me um, clients that were larger. It started to give me eye more eyeballs. It's certain people, 
a wider range of people started paying attention. Mm -hmm. And like I said with the titles, like it just felt like, um, yeah, so it felt good. Like it felt very open. I love Tampa. I think like uh, I've worked in Ebor and I have, I think the culture there, the town has really put a lot into me. So just every time um, I arrive in Tampa again, I'm actually pretty surprised. You work in a lot of different mediums. What you see on your Instagram Z accounts is really the tip of the iceberg with the digital work. And you've had the opportunity to uh, also work with some huge corporate clients and whatnot. How do you navigate between uh, the work that you love doing, but also the work that pays your bills and, and helps you to uh, take care of yourself? Um, I think it's just separating my ego from what I'm doing. So I think if it's for someone, you ha I feel like I'm forced to kind of look through their lens. Um, and some of my personal work does that too. Like some of it's very trying to um, convey a message that I think someone else thinks or a feeling that I may not be familiar with um, through someone else. So I feel like once I think it all blends together. Um, that's the wonderful thing about now. A lot of the cool things that I get to do for commercial stuff, I love. Mm -hmm. Like um, I did, I worked on a campaign for the uh, zoo in Tampa and I like animals, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was in college, like, if you, the the canvas can be wide open, and if you tell me to draw anything, a lot of it was going to be animals, just from, once again, probably where I grew up, like, just being around nature, but I, it, it's just a balancing act of ego and how much of myself I want to put in. There's a certain amount of time to have voice, and there's a certain amount of time to let other people kind of talk through me, so it's just knowing when to do which. Mm -hmm. And... The technology aspect of the work you do, I think, is really phenomenal. I don't think people really appreciate how much uh, process goes into every commercial that gets made, every website that gets seen. There's somebody uh, behind that. And a lot of times a person like you who is working uh, from an artistic perspective and really bringing a huge skill set, how has technology changed the way that you're doing the work that you do? It's kind of unique because I grew up just on the cusp of the iPhone. Mm -hmm. So I got an iPhone at 13, which I think is a normal, you know what I'm saying, a normal child's time. So a lot of the things that I came into in the industry were already, I, they were already pretty plain to me. So a lot of the things like websites, I was um, d doing basic CSS on MySpace in 2000 four or something you know what I'm saying so that that's so scary close to what I did six months ago that you know what I'm saying so technology I wouldn't say has changed it but technology has made me very self-aware of that an idea doesn't have to be one thing it can be however it can look however it can be 2d it can be 3d it could be a campaign it could be brand identity you can convey the same emotion through ton of different stuff through a ton of different voices and um, I think technology is like I said just made me self-aware of that more than anything I'm here with Zach Counts and he's in an interesting crossroads between the art world and the technology that drives so much of the life that we experience today earlier you were saying how uh, there are some companies who are buying data from other places and using that to help shape their campaigns that 
Uh, you talked about A-B testing, and that's yeah. when uh, companies are taking two different images to kind of test which one is actually more successful, and then that lets them know, okay, we should use this image with this combination of words versus that image with that combination of words. And, I mean, whole campaigns are being built around what can be very simple images or ideas. This is a place where it's easy to fall into cliches because it's things a lot of people already know. Um, a lot of people already know Facebook sold data to Cambridge Analytica. They know, mm. like, we're all very aware. We all see it happening. So instead of just kind of regurgitating, I'm going to try to, like, um, look at it more objectively. I think uh, there's a concept called Maxwell's Demon, which pretty much just says we're at a race to the... Um, lowest common denominator pretty much. This is something we're not going to be able to stop because if you can A-B test, everyone gets what an A-B test is, or I hope. It's it's just two options and you mm -hmm. uh, you pick which one does better. So you run them both and then you say, oh, um, the one with the blue house did 30% better. And so pretty much that's what all these companies have been doing for years and years and years. They've been like doing these stereotypes. Well, it's a little it, pernicious in some ways. Recently, I, I remember hearing about how Netflix, you know, they will take, uh, they will select specific images of movies that feature African-Americans in them and then use that with, and I've noticed that even if there's only one black person in the whole movie and they're on the screen for, you know, like six seconds, they'll pluck that image out and use that for the cover art on their, uh, on that whole little like panel reel. Exactly. And, I mean, that's kind of a product of this kind of testing. Is and, and that's the things we've been doing forever. That's mm -hmm. what ad agencies have been doing. That's what I'm saying. Some of it ages super poorly, but some of it just works. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes we want to see us. Like, yeah. I, I want to hear people that talk like me because I think they know what's going on with me. A lot of this is starting to be automated. Mm -hmm. So, um, simple algorithms that we've had for a while, but it's just because of they're being democratized to all these different companies, you can run a lot of variations at once. So instead of ha running two different houses at once, you could choose between a hundred different houses, a hundred different people. So instead of like having to do these even automated assumptions where we think, oh, this person's black, they might want to see black people, mm -hmm. it it's just data, a computer run. So we see the pitfalls of that on Facebook already, where mm -hmm. people are falling into groupthink and these... Um, these echo chambers. Mm -hmm. It's the same way with advertising. Eventually, we're going to have all these products that are specifically catered to you. My wife was telling me recently that she she loves the colors blue and green. So now Amazon exactly. always shows if there's multiple colors of a product, she t what she sees first are now things in blue or green. And now it's going to... It's like that now, but then it's like every photo will be started to be tinted blue and green, mm -hmm. color grade. Like, she'll have a profile. Like, it, it's... And I think this is what I'm trying to avoid. It's easy to get fall into the utopia dystopia thing mm -hmm. where we just demonize it or... Um, we you know, think it'll be absolutely terrible or it, the most wonderful it, thing ever. Exactly. You I think, think it'll be somewhere in the middle? Yeah, and I, I think I think it's just basic karma. I think most things, if we're aware of them, which is why I, like, I think it's worth even bringing up right now. I think everyone just needs to be aware that decisions we're making. We need to be aware that these things are happening. We need to just conversate about them. And... I I think drawing that line, everyone, as soon as possible, is the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. And how do we get better control of that? Do you think there's a way that we can do that as, I guess, you know, people... Because at the end of the day, we're choosing to interact with all this technology. How do we recapture some control over it? 
we all should be acting different, and some of us are, but I think as a whole we should be acting a lot different after Cambridge Analytica, but, like, I think that just needs to be talked about on a wider thing. So the mm -hmm. only thing I think we can do to fight it is have good information, good understanding, and then, like, for instance, I know you do a lot with, like, people's rights, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, like, workers' rights. I think everyone needs to have a right to these data. Everyone needs to have a right to, there needs to be a tax on every Amazon ad. There needs to be a tax on every Facebook ad. Mm -hmm. Why is there not when there is for a billboard? It's just, it's putting the burden on the people at the bottom mm -hmm. instead of like, yeah, equally distributing because yeah. of, because of ignorance. It's not that like, it's not that Congress on purpose wrote in the Declaration of Independence and Facebook gets to pay no taxes. Yeah. It's a systematic thing that happens over time. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just like, well, I, I think that's a great suggestion and, you know, very, um, so let's take a step back. For those who aren't familiar with Cambridge Analytica, this was a, a data mining operation that essentially changed the landscape of our politics here in the United States that they, they did illegally access and deploy information, or I guess it was maybe a little bit gray in terms of what they were really doing with people's data, but they then used that to bombard certain people with different messaging that... Uh, either demonized or praised Trump and Hillary. And it was, I think what's, what was unique about their approach is that it wasn't just pro or anti, or it was really like micro-targeting different groups of people with messages that would that would splinter the electorate, and it essentially worked. Like That's the thing. Maxwell's demon doesn't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. Mm -hmm. It is cares about money. They don't care if it's Trump or Hillary that wins because both of them are giving them checks currently. Yeah. So I'm just saying, I think we all need to be aware that checks are being passed more than anything. And I think that's the hardest thing to kind of contend with. They're giving money to both sides. Where can they throw their money that's going to get them a return or basically keep the system, keep the status quo in place exactly. where they aren't being taxed for uh, the, the ads that they're putting out, where they aren't paying um, anything for the data. Our information is being used by people, you know, and to make a profit and we aren't getting any of the action. And it's unfortunate, like, there's a lag in our system. It, oh, it takes yeah. a while for Congress and everybody to catch up. It takes a while for unions to be, a lot of people had to be hurt for unions to be formed. Mm -hmm. But on a lot of these things, it's accelerating so fast that we don't, we're going to start seeing the collateral damage so fast that it's going to be scary. It's just like AI. It's just mm -hmm. like um, automating uh, trucking. Like, there goes millions of jobs automatically overnight. Yeah. And not overnight, but in the span of five years. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't have people retire that fast. So mm -hmm. there, there is an internal lag where we don't um, necessarily deal with something until it's a problem. So, mm -hmm. no, I think we need to pay more attention to key amount of things because of the speed that they'll happen. Mm-hmm. Now, one I think of of all of the things of, of all these points are interesting, but you feel kind of a a uh, responsibility or a connectedness to these issues because, again, your art and your work is being used to uh, by these companies to and employing some of these strategies that can that raise red flags, yep. but at the same time, I mean, I I, I call it the capitalist trap. You know, I'm I'm not shy to say that Walmart is my least favorite place. Exactly. You know, they exactly. they have systematically destroyed entire communities and are bottoming out wages, and their whole economic strategy is, you know, is terrible for economies. Exactly. But at the same time, I'm every once in a while I gotta go to Walmart to do some shopping. Yep. That um, 
and I think you you kind of expressed some concern about that too. How the work you do is kind of empowering companies uh, that maybe they're working against some of the personal positions that you hold. I think I think it was. I don't think it currently is. Um, I think that's that's the beauty of post postmodernism is I think. There's going to, with more information, we're going to be all aware of the decisions we're making. So, although we all will still have to make, fall into the capitalist trap at some point, to a certain extent, at least for this foreseeable future, like, the, the threshold that happens gets smaller and smaller. We're seeing companies get held accountable for certain things. We're seeing, um, just communication of workers' rights in general. We're seeing people work from home being a lot more accessible. We're seeing like just a ton of stuff that's like, it's gonna happen no matter what. So. So you feel like now you have an opportunity to kind of step away from some of that and do more of the kind of I, work you want to do. Yeah, and I think. Yes, I think I I am, like specifically me, but I think everyone slowly gets to do it. So mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, that's what a big part of what the gig economy is. It's people slowly moving from uh, all being in an office at nine to five to make that graphic, to make the exact, exact same graphic, but you get to see their kids after school and mm-hmm. then put in those extra two hours at, at like eight to 10 or something. So I think every, I'm, I'm doing it and I don't think I'm a master at it per se. I don't have, because um, yeah, I don't value as much things from a lot of a lot of the things from capitalist society I don't value as much so it's more I guess minimal but also just probably back to where I was come from like simple like I just you know mm-hmm. so yeah I think I'm I specifically am trying to be more principled with where my work's being used what it's being used for um, who it makes money for uh, how it targets people mm-hmm. um, and the message it sends because I think and without being cliche, because it's easy, there's a certain humility that has to happen with realizing that a lot of people can be wrong. You can be wrong. I can be wrong. Mm. So I think... Um, More than one person can be right. Exactly. There's gray areas. So much of it's, just like we were talking about with the capitalist trap, like, it's all a big gray area. So it's, it's, I think the easy part is to fall, or the easy thing to do is just fall into a very, like, critiqueful postmodern, like, look at the society and think it's all doomed, dystopia, or utopia, but I think it's just going to fall somewhere in the middle. I think, but I do, I am hopeful that there's going to be a lot more opportunities for me to, for instance, I wouldn't be against working with a big company, um, but it would have to be under certain negotiations and certain, um, I hold the power. The creatives hold the power. Mm -hmm. And they're going to hold it more and more and more going forward. Ideas are not monopolized. Good yeah. ideas happen everywhere. So yeah. once the production gets more democratized, like everyone with a good idea is going to rise. And I, yeah, I hope I hope that some of my ideas are good. Um, that's the goal, at least. And you're working on a book. Yep. And in that, you want to capture some big ideas talking about uh, art and philosophy and looking at them through a lens of modernism, postmodernism, and post-postmodernism. Yep. So for the art novice, 
what let's just break down those initial terms modernism postmodernism and post postmodernism so yeah the book's called everything's for sale and it mimics modernism postmodernism and post postmodernism and tries to explain what it is so are in their importance which is a lot of the things we're already talking about um those kind of pivot point we're at right now mm-hmm. um and kind of shows us what happened before it so for instance modernism before modernism it was very much uh the church ran the world um i think that crafted everyone's view very 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 much like it cannot be influenced enough the amount that getting all your information from one specific spot that could be easily corrupted like that is endlessly like we just see uh, corruption still in the Catholic Church things like that so like the printing press pretty much like there were the wide distribution of the printing press pretty much um, not specifically but brought on modernism and that it killed God as Nietzsche said mm-hmm. and that everyone had was able to critique anything they wanted anyone was able to write whatever they wanted it was we actually had starting freedom of speech for for ideas before the only ideas that would really last were the ones that were wrote and only the powerful people held those mm-hmm. so that kind of gets us to modernism where we we pretty much take the path of picasso where we go from just very complex taking um just a bunch of ideas and grand narratives and we simplify them down into the simplest yeah picasso is just the best example and then from there we go to like post postmodernism which is a lot has to do with like mass production mm-hmm. so i my favorite um example of like p- very postmodern thinking is bauhaus and i think um the way the way hmm. so let's pause for yeah. a sec so it so I guess <laughs> classical art is the stuff like Leonardo da Vinci yeah. and the Sistine Chapel, very realism, yes. realism heavy focused on portraying the world exactly as it is, but also the ideas being controlled uh, by and large the church, a singular point of information and authority. And those are the same thing, I think. And modernism then, you know, the ideas can come from everywhere. Picasso, you know, he, he was very uh, surrealistic and, you know, and... I guess he he wasn't trying to capture reality as it appears through our eyes, but the world as he has experienced it as a person. It, I felt like his work is more about trying to get his emotions on a canvas. Exactly, and I think where we start to make that more universal um, and specific is where we get into like postmodernism, and that gets us to a lot of the cliches we fall into now. With like, so my- is that like Andy Warhol with um, kind of taking Campbell's soup, you know, this mass-produced. <laughs> you know, piece of art, quote unquote, and then kind of then turning it back into art is something that people would enjoy on its own. It is. And I think, but that's the easy cliche. Like that's like the thing everyone jumps to, but I think it's, Mm -hmm. it, it permeates everything we kind of do. So for instance, the Simpsons. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that is very much just recycling all the same things. Like it doesn't necessarily have a take. It doesn't necessarily have positive and negative. It's just, vomiting it all back to us it Mm -hmm. it may have a certain lens specific to that person but it doesn't have like morals per se Mm -hmm. um yeah it permeates everything a lot of sarcasm is uh very postmodern because we were critiquing all the things that came before us in this modernistic time like we're all Mm -hmm. critiquing picasso now 
the Starry Night is used on so many ads, so many like you know yeah. what I'm saying. Just so it's you can all... get it on a T-shirt, you can get it on a coffee cup, exactly. you can get it on a poster. Exactly. So it's it, the book, like I said, tries to explain that those are the same. Like, the way of thinking, and the art is just explaining the way we're thinking. It's really the mm. things that are happening in the culture, and really, when you look at it historically, that's why I pointed out the, those specific things, is that it's the changes in technology that really bring about the thinking. And it's the way we democratize information that's really the thing. Mm. So we, although it started post-postmodernism, in my opinion, like, there's a lot of people that talked about it, but I think the person that describes it the best is um, David Foster Wallace, I hope I got his name right. Um, he critiques a lot about growing up on TV, about um, think like a lot of things to do with our modern culture, where we have to start to inject some sort of um, narrative back into it. And that new Kimmy Schmidt mm. TV show, mm -hmm. like it, it has, it's very self-aware. It's very postmodern. It tells it through a postmodern way. Everything's ironic. Everything, but it has a voice. It is mm -hmm. positive. It is happy, it is telling you a good story, and it is taking you in a positive direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that is like very much what the challenge is. And I try to take you, th uh, the, through the book, I'm hoping to take you through like, explain all these historical patterns that have happened, showing like, through my visual representation of showing you what the art looked like, I'll try to paint like Van Gogh, I try to paint like Dolly. Mm -hmm. um, like I try to explain the things that are happening and but explain it through my lens so it's more of a conversation with people about what i think has happened and what i think the choice we're about to make is but if i just record it for five hours and be ranting um it's not near as appealing as if i paint some pictures to go with it so it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of picking your your uh your platform to get that idea out there and exactly yeah. and it's like we were talking about with uh ad campaigns and everything it just kind of shows you that you can take that same idea and put it anywhere like you can get the same feeling from a book as you can an ad campaign as you can a very good show like the the thinking that happened with impressionism like all that stuff like it just it happened in those certain places because that's how technology let it happen then. Mm -hmm. right now there's things on the internet are mind-blowing but also the things just in specific geographical places is crazy like the culture that comes out of Atlanta the culture that comes out of Austin right now the culture mm -hmm. that comes like we see this reforming of these ideals and these um, I think there's like a new spirituality happening in general through mm -hmm. through just everything like um, and I think it just yeah it's just a re Reinjection of morals into our conversation. Zach Counts, multi-talented artist, deep thinker, wide thinker, uh, recognizes the the power of art and ideas to shape the whole course of society. Uh, also, huge nerd. I hope that's yep. not a not an offensive term. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, working on a video game. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about that game. It's called Hive. Um, it's a lot of the same things we were already saying, but it's told more, obviously, narratively. Uh, pretty much going to follow a uh, computer, an AI system, whatever, and you are a glitch. You are a, you know... A, a bug in the system. You're a sequence that went wrong. You mm -hmm. are, and so it it comments on a lot of the things we were saying about Maxwell's Demon, a race to the top. It'll be, it's a seven-layered, like, there's seven layers, or seven levels, and they're layered on top of each other. Um, you can't see up, you can only see down. Very reminiscent to mm -hmm. our current society. A lot of like things like that that I hope um, 
will engage people in a like very cyberpunk because I think I'm very into like Blade Runner. I'm very into mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell. I'm like just a lot of that. A lot of the things that make you think these deep, deep, deep ideas, but I want to kind of inject my thought in there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those do a great job at asking questions, but I just kind of want to say here. Like, I just want to, a little happy at the end. Like, mm-hmm. I want people to be able to play through a video game and it feel very, very reminiscent and then be very, them see metaphorical things while also having a good time and walk away from it without, um, <laughs> I don't know, wanting to throw a rocket at Walmart or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like that's where uh, the, the, there's a lot of moments of hope and inspiration and in, in the work that you do that uh, you're trying to, you're kind of, I guess, swimming through the world as we all are, soaking up all of these different news stories. And yeah. uh, we're, I mean, whether you're, whether you're on the sidelines or in the streets, everybody is being affected by the movements that are happening right now. And uh, you see more hope and you see more hope than you do uh, pessimism in the world and with everything that's happening. For sure. I think, like I said, um, I think there's been stagnation. I think we've been tricking ourselves for a long time. In general, in life, um, through a stagnation in postmodernist thinking, but also just in, like, if you want to get down to brass tacks of economy, things have been going down for years. So I think... Um, any change, like I said, any change to the people is going to be a good thing. But I think, specifically, um, specifically, COVID changes a lot. It mm. it changes the way we fundamentally think about a lot of things. So I think it it gives. That's why I'm so optimistic. If it if it points out so many flaws, somebody has to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like you're saying, um, if you're we have a lot of people on the sidelines right now. I think those people are equally um, playing the game. I think being on the sidelines is equally part of the game right now, like I said. Mm-hmm. I think if it doesn't matter if you are aware of what Walmart's doing or not. Walmart's still doing it. Yeah. It, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how we necessarily slice it. We all just need to be aware of it. So, I don't know. I think the fact that... The fact that it's trending on social media to talk about reading a book is crazy. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's popular on social media to like, um, I don't know, just everything. There's obviously a lot of negative so I'm, uh, I'm, that can come with certain things on any extreme, like calling out, like I said, calling out things. But I think a certain amount of like everything is just, I think it's nothing but optimistic. And cha- to me, change is inevitably optimistic because mm-hmm. of history like we see we know that this is the best time to be alive like mm-hmm. everyone can try to look at it through a very like postmodernistic, selfish ego way of yeah but this and this and this and this problem and this but when you really look at it we're in, like i said top one percent of the world if you live in the united states you um modern medicine the printing press the internet, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just mm-hmm. compounds and compounds. So to me, it's nothing but hope. Um, when you see people communicating what they think, it's less hopeful to me when you, everyone's just kind of being quiet and going along with the grand narrative for 50 years mm-hmm. about how everything's growing. And then you suddenly see these big pops uh, to me, big, like quiet. And then pop is a bad, yeah, is a bad, uh, 
system or cycle to fall into. I think we need people constantly saying what they think. We need people constantly voting. Every two years needs to be a debate about ideas. Mm-hmm. Every I don't I'm bad with local elections, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. however every term that a local election happens, those specific terms we need to be having those conversations and we need to all have access to that information like talking about Facebook and stuff. The fact that social media companies can take a side is crazy. Like, mm-hmm. and we all need to be very, very, very aware of that. Like, it's the decisions that we're making we need to be aware of. The people on the sidelines are making a decision, I think. Yeah, by not even, by not, sometimes by, like, if you're, if you're sitting there and watching a house burn, like, you're, that is a decision, you know, just because you're not, you know, running into the burning building, like, like, choosing to do nothing is still making a choice, and that is, I think the, that is a, that needs to be recognized in a way. That... Yeah, but it's hard to prescribe people because um, to tell it's the you get caught in the cliche. Okay, well, don't buy from Walmart. Okay, well then vote. Okay, well then do you know what I'm saying? You get caught mm-hmm. in all these little things where it's like you you cut your life off so much where you're suddenly uh, environmentalist that uh, everything that gets shipped to you you fold back. You know what I'm saying? Like you get to zero emissions, everything, like, you buy a car that costs $30,000 more because of market, like, you do all these things, but you don't affect things very much. Yeah. So, it's almost like you're worrying yourself into a little spiral and putting forth way more energy when if you would have, like, you say in the capitalist trap, like, where if you would have just said, yeah, I understand that Walmart's taken away certain people's jobs. I want my grand narrative and the way I move like you're doing with this podcast and things like that I want this grand narrative to move in this positive direction yeah. and on these things I can't help I guess I just can't help it so yeah yeah I mean that's I think the pull and pull of the, the pull and push of history is that you know we're all in this boat together and but we all have a little piece of it that you know we've all got an oar as it were and we can we can push and we can uh, pull and we can you know we can all we we can work collectively to make changes um, but again, it's all it's I guess to be a, to be social to be in a, a member of society is to is to compromise in some ways and to recognize the the limits that we have, but also the power that we have um, to yeah. to make those kinds of changes. I think now, like I said, now is just the time to be the most self aware. So we need to be the most aware of what's happen- what affects us. But we also need to be very aware, which is easy, mm-hmm. like. That's 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 like saying things like um, I don't like Obamacare because it made it found me two hundred fifty dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like a very like you need to be aware of what's happening to me. That's two hundred fifty dollars going out. You mm-hmm. also need to be aware of your immediate surroundings. Like we all know, like there are people co- that would be dead without the insurance they got from Obamacare. Yeah, but I mean even more. Like it changes your perspective so much more when COVID happens and you have a family member that's susceptible. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like your healthcare immediately changes. So. You have to be aware of your perspective. You have to be aware of your extended community, which I think is also pretty easy, just basic empathy. But I think we all just need to be aware of the system we're playing into. No one, like I said, no one's on the sidelines. Everyone everyone who doesn't vote has an equal amount of say. Everyone who uses Facebook but doesn't communicate like their views on um, like. Facebook selling data, or everyone that uses YouTube and uses a Google account for everything, but doesn't express you the, to YouTube that they don't like them censoring like information about Uyghur um, Muslims in China. Like, there's all these things that's like you have. If you're on the sideline, you're part of the problem. 
mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And it's not that we need to call those people out. We just need to give everyone the information to say, hey, look, this is the game that's being played. You make your decision, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to judge your morals, but this is what my morals told me about it. Mm-hmm. So, Outstanding. Well, Zach, this is this conversation's been unexpected in many ways. Uh, I came in just thinking we talk about art and technology a little bit, but we've definitely ventured into um, all of the things that I really wanted to capture in this podcast, uh, faith, philosophy, uh, culture, and science. Yep. And um, so this has been a great journey, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yep, I appreciate you having me on. I, I Like I said, I've checked out uh, as many of your podcasts as I could, and I, as you can tell by the conversation, I'm super into all the things, like all the subjects you're doing. Um, I've enjoyed the ones you've done before, and I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Well, keep up the great work, and I look forward to the book, and hopefully one day very soon uh, playing the game. I, yep. want, I want to be a, a glitch in the system in, in one way or another. <laughs> yep, yep. I appreciate it. Welcome to Backpage. If you've made it to this part of the podcast, I just want to say thank you again for listening. And this is a space where I like to just give you insight and reflections, not only on the content you just heard, but also on what it takes to bring this podcast to you on a regular basis. So one of the things that's really I'm working on right now is this keeping the show to under an hour. My goal is to be between 45 and 60 minutes on any particular episode. And if you listen to the Keystone episode or to uh, Grave Findings or really any of my episodes, they all come in pretty long, an hour and a half sometimes. One of the things I know is that people tend to listen to podcasts on their commute when they're exercising or doing something else. It's the beauty of and the challenge with a podcast is that You don't have to sit down and dedicate time to it like you do with a TV show or a movie. But it does also mean that you've got to respect that time frame because most people are not going to be on an hour and a half commute. So my goal is to make sure that I'm trimming the conversations down and fitting them into that time frame. So going forward with the rest of the season, I'm going to be working on that a lot. One of the challenges is that I just like to have conversations. What you're hearing is not a necessarily manicured, prepared, like I'm not sending my guests a ton of questions beforehand. Usually I just send them, if anything, uh, just some basic questions to understand where they are. Or usually I just talk to them for 15 or 20 minutes before we actually start recording so I can figure out how to do a read in and, you know, kind of prep the conversation for you to hear. I don't want to lose that content, though. In this conversation with Zach in particular, we talked about uh, just even deeper issues around uh, how media and politics and everything is affecting our race relations and you know how black lives matter fits into this whole conversation about who has access to the technology and how it shapes our perceptions of things and while i hope that you gathered uh you know some insight into those things from the conversation i know that i cut some parts of that conversation out If you're listening to this and you're anything like me, then you would probably say, hey, I would love to hear that sort of stuff. So what I'm going to do is make that extended cut or unedited audio available on the Patreon page. 
If you're not familiar with Patreon, that's a space where creatives of all kinds can uh, share uh, content and also help to create some revenue for doing so. And all kinds of people on there, visual artists, podcasters, um, musicians are selling tickets and giving, you know, like special demos of their music. Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of my favorite people, a scientist, astrophysicist, and also hosts a podcast, Star Talk, that I highly recommend, is also on there. And if you donate to his Patreon, then when they do the, the question and answer episodes, the Patreon questions usually get asked first. So uh, I'm building up that Patreon as, an, as a way to share this additional content and make sure you're hearing all that these conversations really get into. Sometimes I just like to let my guests talk. That's really the best way to um, understand their journey, get those insights, find those inspirations. And I don't want to hold on to that stuff. So uh, I hope you are going to the Patreon and, and, and finding that and uh, signing up for it. I am going to be just increasing the amount of content that's on there over the next couple of months and really making it a place that's like a repository for just tons more content. Whether you want to donate a dollar or five dollars or uh, anything, you know, that's not really the consequential thing. But I just want you to share the show. Yeah, I bring this to you out of my heart, out of my passion. I love to share these stories, to meet the, my guests, to talk to them. And um, that's my ultimate goal with Journeyman's Journal is to bring you on a journey with me to interesting places, interesting people and to learn interesting things. So I hope you have a blessed night.